It's time for Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott, inviting the atheist, agnostic, and skeptic to examine for themselves the evidence for the Christian faith. We are all limited by what we do not know and by the things we think we know but are not true. Dr. Joe Mott earned his Ph.D. at LSU and was a distinguished math professor at Florida State University for 38 years, helping to write three math textbooks and authoring over 30 research articles in math. He is now the host of this radio program, Defending and Commending the Faith. Here is Joe Mott. Hello to everybody in the audience. Welcome to the program. Rather than continuing to discuss false religions like Christian liberalism, emergent church slash progressive Christianity, Christian science, New Age movement, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormonism, etc., I turn now to discuss the death of truth and eventually to the dangers of postmodernism because postmodernism is founded on the concept of the death of truth. Down through the ages, people have asked the same question that Pontius Pilate asked Jesus, namely, what is truth? But Pilate did not stay around for an answer. Many people now have gone along with the culture and renounce belief in absolute truth, and so, like Pilate, are not interested in hearing about absolute truth. Since the early to mid-20th century, the culture in the U.S. has been in the throes of a quiet but desperate revolution of thought, the death of truth. I'm not referring to the subjective sense of personal opinions, but rather to the death of what the late Christian evangelist and theologian Francis Schaeffer called true truth, the extinction of the idea that anything can be known with certainty. Schaeffer wrote over 22 books from 1968 to 1981, and in many of his books he talks about the denial of truth. This is also what Douglas Gruthius called truth decay in his 2000 book by the same title. This change in the concept of the way we in the United States come to knowledge and truth is the most crucial problem facing Christianity since before World War II, say from about 1935. Before that date, everyone would have been operating on basically the same presuppositions, which in practice seemed to be in accord with Christianity's own presuppositions. What were these presuppositions? The basic one was there really were such things as absolutes. People accepted the possibility of an absolute in knowledge and in morals. Therefore, because absolutes were accepted, they could reason together on the classical basis of antithesis. They took it for granted that in logic, if anything was true, the opposite was false. In morality, if one thing was right, 
then its opposite was wrong. Absolutes imply antithesis. Schaefer says that our minds are so created by God that we think in terms of antithesis. It is not surprising that God made our minds to think in the category of antithesis, for this fits the reality of his existence and the reality of his creation, the universe. In times past, people's entire mental outlook accepted the presupposition of antithesis. We must not forget that historic Christianity stands on the basis of antithesis. Without it, the truth claims of Christianity are meaningless. The basic antithesis is that God objectively exists. Thus, the contrast in this antithesis means God does not exist. One of these two alternatives is the true reality, and it changes everything in the area of knowledge and morals and the whole of life. But relativity crept into our culture gradually, first in knowledge, then in morality. But now we have retreated to another depth of retrogression to the death of truth. Many of Francis Schaeffer's books trace that retrogression for the Western culture. In his 4th century BC book, Metaphysics, Aristotle made this observation, Man by nature desires to know. How can this desire be satisfied if nothing can be known with certainty? Christianity, in direct opposition to this new revolutionary idea of truth, affirms that truth is objective slash absolute, and truth can be known with certainty. Christianity contains claims about reality, and these claims are either true or false. Moreover, competing truth claims, especially those of, at the core of competing worldviews, often have very different consequences for living life. The famous author, theologian, and Christian apologist C.S. Lewis, who died in 1963, declares in Mere Christianity, we are now getting to the point at which different beliefs about the universe lead to different behavior. Religion involves a series of statements about facts which are either true or false. If they are true, one set of conclusions will follow about the right sailing of the human fleet. And if they are false, quite a different set. The notion of truth employed in Lewis's statement is called the correspondence theory of truth, which means roughly the idea that truth is a matter of a proposition that corresponds to reality. Truth is obtained when reality is the way a proposition represents it to be. The correspondence theory of truth may properly be called the classical theory of truth because, with little exception, it was held by every thinking person 
up until the 19th century. For example, Aristotle says, to say of what is that it is, or of what is not that it is not, is true. The Bible regularly presupposes the correspondence theory of truth. Numerous passages explicitly contrast true propositions with falsehoods. Thus, in Romans chapter 1, verse 25, we are told that the secular person exchanged the truth about God for a lie. Repeatedly, the Old Testament warns against false prophets whose words do not conform to reality. And the Ninth Commandment warns against bearing false testimony, that is, testimony that fails to correspond to what actually happened. Thus, truth in the Bible refers to absolute truth. Jesus claimed to be the way, the truth, and the life. He said God's Word is truth, that the truth sets us free. He assures that the truth cannot be broken and that the devil is a liar and a deceiver who cannot stand the truth. However, even though the correspondence theory of truth has been the standard for multiple centuries, starting in the 19th century, many have attempted to come up with new theories of truth. I shall not attempt to describe these new theories, but simply say that it is generally agreed that all have features that are problematic. In the current cultural situation, a discussion of truth would be incomplete without an analysis of postmodernism. Unfortunately, such an analysis is extremely difficult to do in a brief introductory way. For one thing, postmodernism is a loose coalition of diverse thinkers from several different disciplines who say slightly different things. Thus, it's difficult to be fair to this diversity in discussing postmodernism. If you want to know more, I suggest you consider seven points found in chapter 6 of the book Philosophical Foundations for Christian Worldview by J.P. Moreland and William Lane Craig. Moreland and Craig's book influenced my attempt at a general thumbnail sketch of postmodernism. Postmodernism is both an historical notion and a philosophical ideology. Understood historically, the term postmodernism literally means aftermodernism, and as such, it is a reaction to and a disillusionment with the former worldview of modernism. Postmodernists are disillusioned because of modernism's failed promise of using human reason alone to make the world a better place. From a philosophical standpoint, since one of modernism's basic beliefs was that absolutes did indeed exist, 
Postmodernism seeks to correct this basic belief by first eliminating absolute truth altogether and making everything, including the empirical sciences and religion, relative to an individual's subjective beliefs, opinions, and desires. So postmodernism is a philosophy that affirms no objective absolute truth, especially in matters of religion and spirituality. In prior generations, secularism promoted relativism of morals. Now, postmodernism promotes not only that, but relativism of truth as well. But here is postmodernism's basic problem. Since postmodernism says that no truth should be affirmed, then that position is self-defeating. Why? Because it affirms that at least one absolute truth exists, namely that no absolute truth should be affirmed. Immediately in the very description of postmodernism, there is a contradiction. Putting it simply, one professor has said, when someone says there is no such thing as truth, they are asking you not to believe them. So don't. Thus, postmodernism affirms the kooky dictum relativity of truth. In the book Relativism, the authors Francis J. Beckwith and Gregory Kuckel say that relativism is a situation where one's feet are firmly planted in midair. Yet, despite its obvious self-defeating status, postmodernism still is accepted by many people. Why? Well, they are sinful. Their minds are blinded. They desire to be autonomous and some are unwilling to bow before the Lord and admit their sinfulness, rebellion, and guilt. They cannot give up their autonomy. It is not that the answers given in the Bible are not good, adequate, and sufficient. Unless one gives up one's autonomy, one cannot accept the answers. Paul says that if one does not receive the love of truth, God sends a strong del delusion. You can't love truth if you are denying it. Allow me to close this episode with the reminder. Exercise daily. Walk with God. Thank you for listening to Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott a production of Wave 94 Radio in Tallahassee, Florida. If you have any questions or comments for Joe, please forward them to Doug Apple at Wave 94 at this email address, dougapple at wave94.com. And be sure to join us every Monday evening at 6.45 p.m. on Wave 94 and subscribe through your favorite podcast app, Defending and Commending the Faith with Joe Mott.